this evening, uh, verses 1 through 6. First John 4, 1 through 6, where we read the following words, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Thus reads the living and abiding word of God. Now I see from my record of preaching that this is the 18th time indeed that we are turning to the great book of First John in the New Testament and we are beginning this evening a series of studies, I think there will be three if not four of these studies, through the fourth chapter of First uh, John. So important and significant are the themes that John is dealing with in this portion of his letter and of his book. Now let me begin this evening by doing something that I very rarely do, and that is quoting the experience of a fellow pastor. And I read only recently that Pastor James Boyce of the celebrated 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, a church whose ministry I'm sure is known to some of you here this evening, recounted an incident after an evening service in his congregation when he had been preaching on the subject of the need to test the teaching that is being given in the churches today. After preaching such a sermon at an evening service, he found a young man waiting in his study that evening. And the young man's story was this, that on two summers previously, he had gone to a music camp organized by one of the great American universities. And during that camp, he had developed a great burden as a Christian young man that there should be some form of outreach to the many students who attended the music camp. And as a result of his efforts, he was granted permission quite late on in that summer to begin a Bible study, and just before the camp ended, to help organize a Lord's Day service. And things began to go very well. And his story was that the following summer, he continued in the same kind of ministry. But by this time, the conductor of the music school had become a Christian. He'd been newly appointed to that position, and the student asked him, therefore, to be involved 
in these Bible studies and in these Lord's Day services. However, it turned out that the music conductor not only participated in those activities, but began to take them over wholesale. And such was his effect that it created division among those who were being led to Christ as a result of the student's witness, and there were departures from the fellowship. And the word of scandal began to spread, and the university, who had opened the door to Christian witness, now closed it decisively and banned the Bible study and closed down the Sunday service. And the student's question to Dr. Boyce of the 10th Presbyterian Church was quite simply this. Was this man right, the music conductor? who had told the student the reason why these things didn't happen when you were in charge is that you were not sufficiently bold, nor were you sufficiently spiritual in your testimony. And he passed off the division and all that had followed as a result of his own faithfulness to Christ, as opposed to the student's unfaithfulness. And he asked Dr. Boyce, was this man right? Was I not spiritual enough? Was I not sufficiently filled with the Holy Spirit? If I had been filled with the Spirit, would I have found myself more in accord with this man's methods that caused, in the end, such division and such discord? And Dr. Boyce, in illustrating this, tells how he went to the book of 1 John, where we are this evening, to this very passage, and taught the young man, how as Christians we need to test the spirits and to test every kind of testimony and teaching that comes before us. And what I want to say to you this evening as we begin to open up the passage that is before us in verses 1 to 6 is that the problem, beloved, we are considering tonight is not a problem related only to the time in which John wrote this letter. This is a contemporary problem in the church today. As my illustration, I trust, has conveyed to your minds this evening, we are not dealing with something that is unique to John and his ministry, but is so contemporary in the church today. We need to learn the lesson of testing the spirits. Now, as we come to consider these first six verses, I realized even in my preparation that we are only going to be able to cover the first of three points that is written on the sermon note sheet tonight. And there are three great things that you can see in these six verses. The error that these false spirits teach the audience which they attract, and thirdly, the aim that they would attain. And I have to say to you that we will only be able to deal with the first of these this evening, the error which they teach in verses 1 through 3, and God willing, will return to points 2 and 3 uh, next Lord's Day evening. Now, as you have your Bible before you then tonight, do look with me at these opening verses 1 through 3 where John begins to say in those terms of endearment that he so frequently uses in his letter, Dear friends, do not believe 
every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world, and so forth. Now let me, first of all, take a moment to remind you of the background of the first century into which these words were originally written. You remember from reading your New Testament, of course, that in the early church there was abundant evidence of spiritual life. There were many services held and many Christian meetings that we know were throbbing with spiritual power. If, for instance, you read 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, you find clear evidence of the spiritual vitality of those early congregational meetings for worship. And you read in those chapters how some stood up and spoke in strange tongues, and others rose to interpret those tongues, and all of this was direct revelation from God, for this was in an age when the canon of Scripture still had not been closed. Others prophesied in the church, claiming that God was actually speaking to them and from them to the congregation of God's people, and that their utterance should be accepted as the very word of God himself. There is no question of this. And some exhibited, moreover, power to work miracles and heal the sick. And some, we read in those chapters, were so moved by the Spirit of God within them that they could scarcely wait their turn to speak. So that the great Apostle Paul had to write to the Corinthian church and say to them that if you have a word of revelation from the Lord or a word of teaching, then you must wait your turn in order to speak. Otherwise, chaos and discord will reign. And if a stranger come in among you, will he not say, says Paul, that you are mad? And his command was that all things should be done decently and in order. Now, why do I mention this to you this evening? Because you see, beloved, all of this is the background to what John is giving to us by way of warning this evening in verses 1 through 6. Because in the midst of all this dynamic spiritual vitality of the early church, they needed to remember that not all of that activity was necessarily to be attributed to God. And in those same chapters of Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 1 and following, you read that Paul says no one speaking by the Spirit of God can call Jesus anathema. And it's evident that he was speaking into a situation where some enthusiasm that was being exhibited in certain congregations of the Christian church did not have its origin in the mind and will of Almighty God. But this was of the flesh and of this world and of the devil. And Paul indicates that there might even be in Christian assemblies the possibility of someone claiming the inspiration of God and standing up and saying that Jesus is anathema. And this is the ground, too, for Paul's frequent exhortations to test 
all things that you find at the end of his epistles. Now, do you see what John is doing then in the background of this early life and worship of the church? Beloved, he says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. There are spiritual influences, in other words, abroad in the church which do not emanate from him. And there are other spirits that are not aligned with the Holy Spirit of God in any sense at all. And that particularly as you read, false prophets have gone out into the world as well as true prophets and they may be present evidently in church services, and they may be there in prayer meetings, or in Christian organizations, or as we would say today, in literature and books that claim to be Christian. And in videos, and on the radio, and on television. So that even Christians may be deceived. And that is clearly evident, you see by his command, do not believe all that you hear and see, but test it. And by the very fact that he refers, you notice in verse 3, to the spirit of Antichrist. And Antichrist, remember, is the one who is not only opposed to Christ, but is one who stands in the place of Christ and has so much likeness, in a sense, to Christ that even genuine Christians may be deceived for a season and attribute to God that which is not emanating from God at all. Now, you see why I'm giving you this background. Because the question arises tonight, how does the Christian discern and withstand this subtle attempt of Satan to infiltrate himself into the Christian body of believers in an attempt to destroy what we have called in this epistle the fellowship of love and light. And how are we to discern and beware and withstand these subtle influences that come from a satanic source? Now, in answering that question this evening and As I say, dealing only with the first of these three points, there is more than enough material for us. Because in verses 1 to 3, as we look at the error of the false teacher's teaching, there are really three tests clustered together in one. And I want to take up the remainder of my time in opening and up unfolding to you what these three tests really are that are summarized in the error of their teaching. Now, first of all, if you look with me at verse 1, John is warning us, and he is putting us on our guard by reminding us that not every supernatural occurrence or successful movement is to be associated with the Holy Spirit. And I want you to notice that John's emphasis is upon the source from which these occurrences come. And he uses the word spirit. Do not believe every spirit. The emphasis is upon the source from which this falsity arises. 
Now, if you take a moment, and this is important, to look down at your Bible this evening, and you'll see that twice in verse 1, he refers to the term spirit. Do not believe every spirit at the beginning of the verse. Test the spirit or spirits in the middle of the verse. It occurs again in verse 2 toward the end. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ is in the flesh is of God. It occurs in verse 3. Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus has come in the flesh is not from God. If you look again in verse 6, beyond our passage this evening, it occurs twice in one verse. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So almost six or seven times in three verses or so, he is bringing before us the source of all this falsity that endangers the church. Now, why is he doing this? And the answer is to convey to us, surely, that behind all the false teaching and the attempt to turn Christians aside from Christ to the Antichrist, behind it all is a supernatural source. And he sounds out that warning. There are other spirits beside the Holy Spirit of God. And not every supernatural occurrence and every successful movement is to be associated with the Spirit of God. Now, you see, we're living in a day and a generation, beloved, when this kind of thinking is very objectionable. People today, when they listen to teaching, do not ask the fundamental question that they should ask, from what source is this coming? And if you were to say to them as a Christian, behind every kind of teaching, there is a supernatural source in the realm of religion. Either it comes from God, or else it comes from the evil one. And there is no middle ground. They would think that you have gone out of your mind. And we need to grasp clearly, I believe, this evening that every teaching that we hear can either be categorized as coming from God and exalting the Lord Jesus Christ or else as coming from the devil and ultimately, whatever its appearance may be for the moment, it is going to blaspheme and demerit the Lord Jesus Christ and begin the process of the destruction of the fellowship of light and love. Now, do you see what I'm saying to you this evening? That John's concern is deception, and the source of that deception, as the devil comes in in his attempt to delude the people of God and infiltrate the Christian church, and often he does it in the most appealing way. Sometimes the false teaching is dressed up in the most attractive way. Those men on the television that appear before you in their tuxedos and speak with such eloquence and with such obvious intellectual training and that cult leader that is such a nice and eloquent man. And then you say, everybody is following this teaching. It must be right. 
John says, no. You have to be discerning. Go back to the source. Do not believe every spirit. There is a supernatural source behind every teaching in the realm of religion. And it is either of God or else it is bound to be of the evil one. Whatever success men may attribute to it. And the Christian must be taught to recognize that the spirit of Antichrist is abroad in the world. And you know, I see this as a pastor constantly, as I think not necessarily of the cults and the false religions and sects, but as I think of the Christian church, and as I think and consider that in great part the spiritual breakdown of this century can be attributed to the theological liberalism that came in 100 years ago to our seminaries that denied the authority of Scripture in a very subtle way at first, that cast the aura of intellectual acceptability not to believe in the supernatural or the deity of Christ or his bodily resurrection, all so persuasively and little by little chipping away at the Christian faith. And what happened? It has led in this century to the wreck and ruin that has accompanied it in its train. And, beloved, we need this warning of the Apostle John to look at the source from which all teaching that reaches our ears ultimately comes. Now, the second thing you notice that John tells us in these three verses is that Satan's most successful camouflage is false teaching. Now, if you look down at your Bibles again, you can see this very clearly. Many false prophets have gone out into the world, he says at the end of verse 1. The world listens to them. And I think that's verse 5, isn't it? They are from the world, and the world listens to them. And the emphasis is on listening, you see. And then further down still in verse 6, this is how we recognize the spirit of what? Falsehood. Again, the emphasis on teaching. And the most successful camouflage for himself that Satan, the false spirit, has is false teaching. And I have to say to you this evening that just as the Lord Jesus has sent out his apostles and true teachers and true prophets into the world to give us the inscripturated revelation of himself, so Satan, in a parallel manner, has mimicked the tactics of the Lord God by sending out false teachers and false prophets into the world, and even in John's day, false apostles. And there's no question that they are inspired. If you listen to some of the false teachers today and the cult leaders, there's no question that they speak with a measure of inspiration, and they inspire you as you listen to them, if you're taken in. But the question is, who inspired them? 
And this, beloved, is no new problem, you see, as we deal with this false teaching. God's people have always had to face the problem of distinguishing between those who are of God and those who speak either of themselves or directly from the evil one. And if you go back into the time of Moses, you find that even as he was commissioned by the Lord to release the people of Israel from their bitter bondage in Egypt and began that great work, he was opposed by the magicians of Pharaoh who did their counter-miracles and sought to convince the Pharaoh of Egypt that Moses was not a true prophet of God because they could do equal signs to him. And we read in a number of places in the Old Testament, such as in Jeremiah 28, verse 9, and in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 22, that God's people under the Old Covenant were told to test the teaching that they received from so-called prophets. And one of the tests was that if a prophet speaks, the Lord says his prediction will come true if he is a true prophet that I have sent. And if his prediction does not come true, then you know that he is a false prophet. And in Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 3, the Lord supplies another test as he tells his people that if the effect of the message of that prophet, whom you take to be genuine, leads you stage by stage to worship other gods, then you certainly know that he is not from me. And you see, in view of this warning of John, this second warning, that Satan comes under the camouflage of false teaching. We need to be in a position to test the spirits. Whatever we hear preached to us, to compare it with the written word of God, whichever Christian book we pick up, even by so-called reliable publishers that are committed to the biblical faith, test it by the scriptures. The radio programs that we see, the television that we watch that deals with the Christian faith, we need to remember that Satan's most successful camouflage is to come at us in the cloak of false teaching. Now this leads me to the third point this evening, and it is this, the error which they teach. Every spirit you read in verses 2 and 3, which acknowledges Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, is from God, and every spirit that does not acknowledge that he has come in the flesh, is not from God. Now, it's interesting that when John says we are to test the spirits, the word he uses in Greek, the verb dokimadzo, is the verb that is used by the shopkeeper when he's paid for his merchandise in coins. And if he thinks that a coin is not a genuine coin but a counterfeit one, he would drop it on his counter and know from the ring whether the right amount of metal was in that coin or not. And it's the means by which you discover the genuine from the counterfeits, the Greek verb dokimadzo. And this is what John is doing for us here. He's saying, I am giving you the test in the knowledge that there are spirits abroad in the world that are not aligned with the Holy Spirit, 
and that Satan is coming in the camouflage of false teaching to deceive you. How imperiled, then, is your situation? But here is the test by which you may know the genuine from the false. The cardinal test, you notice, is their confession of Christ. Now, who is he? Is he both God and man, or merely man, as some false cults teachers still today? Is he merely an amalgam of God and man, but not two separate and distinct natures dwelling in the one person of the Lord Jesus? And John makes this the test by which, ultimately, we know the genuine from the false. Now you remember in John's day that the Gnostic heresy was abroad, that all matter was evil, and the only good was entirely spiritual, and therefore it was inconceivable that God, who was all good and was all spirit, could ever dwell in a sinful human body, as they took it to be, because all material is evil. And they spoke against Christ, and they did not believe him as being God incarnate, Neither did they believe, therefore, that he could save men by his death from their sins or bring them into communion with God. And it was all an attempt to discredit the Lord Jesus by affirming that he was not, after all, the eternal Son of God. And this, says John, is the essence of the Spirit of Antichrist because they deny that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Now that, let me say to you then, before we draw to a close this evening, that what is absolutely clear in this test is that nobody, nobody can possibly be called a Christian who denies or detracts from the divinity and the humanity of Jesus, that he is fully divine, that he is equally fully human. And just as there is a moral test for finding out who is the true Christian and the true teacher, and a social test likewise for finding out the true from the false, so there is a doctrinal test as we have seen earlier in this letter already. And it is here summarized in these words that every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now let me leave you with this thought before I draw to a conclusion, that here is the distinction, beloved, between the Christian faith and every other religion in this world that I am aware of. And it lies in this, that every other religion, as you examine its teaching, requires you to believe the teaching of the leader of that religion, whether it's Buddha or Muhammad or Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism or whatever it might be. But when you come to the Christian faith, the distinct difference is that Christianity requires me to believe in the doctrine of the person of the founder of this religion. And if I am wrong here, I am wrong everywhere. Because all that Jesus taught and did and ever said is nothing if there is not 
reality behind the claim that he made to be the second person of the Trinity, the eternal God enfleshed. And we are left with nothing but a pathetic martyr or a great moral teaching or a magnificent example of suffering, but nothing more, just another world religion competing with the rest in the field of human endeavor. And Christianity is distinct, beloved, in that it requires me to believe in the person of the Lord Jesus and believe rightly in that cardinal area. Now let me finish there by drawing three conclusions this evening from all that I've said to you. And the first is this. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to enable us to confess that Christ has come in the flesh. And I challenge you this evening, what a mighty miracle of God's work it is to draw from sinful human hearts and lives that have been lived in rebellion against God and his law, to draw from them the biblical confession that Jesus Christ has come indeed in the flesh. Think about we take it so for granted. But in the midst of a world that is characterized by our own fallen nature, in the midst of a world in which we have seen we are surrounded by false spirits and false prophets who are out, every one of them, to discredit the Lord Jesus Christ, what a miracle of divine grace it is that any one of us can say with our heart and from our lips, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, enfleshed, and my Savior. Have you made that confession, my dear friend, this evening? Now the second conclusion is this. There is such a thing as truth, even in this generation, with regard to religious things. You know, we're living in an age of pluralism, aren't we? Where it's so unfashionable to say, he is right, and she is wrong. But this is what you find, as we've seen constantly in the Scriptures, and especially in this great book of First John. There is no gray area. There is no middle ground. There is truth and error. There is light and darkness. And I must say to you this evening with all my heart, in this generation, there is truth which must be embraced. And there is error that must be eschewed with all our strength. And I believe, you know, that it is because the church corporately and Christians individually has have not emphasized the absolute categories of truth and error that we are having problems in the church today. And we have made the Christian faith that is so distinct just a matter of interpretation. May God save us ever from that. And my third and closing word is this. To you who are young people, and there are a number of you here in this service, at college, university, or having been through it, you are facing continually the pressures of sects and cults and false teachers around you 
fellow students who say Jesus was a good man, but of course he wasn't the Son of God, or even ascribing to Jesus a measure of the supernatural associated with his ministry, but still stopping short of saying Jesus is God. And I want to say to you, in whatever garment that error comes, it is a fundamental denial of the Christian faith that you are up against. Whether it is an atheist you are dealing with, or a Jehovah's Witness, or a Mormon, or a Christadelphian, or someone who is following the New Age religion that is nothing other than ancient Eastern mysticism dressed up in Western garments, they are wrong. And even if some of those people with whom you are dealing have elements of truth in their teaching, remember, my dear young friend, that even a broken clock is right at least twice every 24 hours. And what I want to say to you tonight is they are the representatives of Antichrist. And all their power ultimately is from that spirit that John has warned us of, whose source is satanic. And all their testimony, ultimately, is a testimony that will lead you into falsehood and must be decisively rejected. And this is what John is teaching us this evening. Well, I've exceeded my time, but as I finish, let me say, that here is one grand test that John has given us in a most vital and important area of our Christian lives. And God willing, next Sunday evening, we'll be looking at the audience they attract and the aim that they would attain. And may God, the Holy Spirit, bless this counsel to our hearts. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for this passage and pray that you will take these words and apply them richly to our minds and hearts and satisfy us with that fullness of biblical truth that we do most assuredly find and only find in the revealed scriptures of God's own word. May it be so, for his name's sake. Amen.